This is the EWN Podcast Network. Everybody wants to win. It's how we define success in life. Michelle Nagel explores resilience, teaches you happiness hacks, and provides tools for building positive relationships, all of which are essential for winning at the game of life. Join us to learn how to roar. Good morning. This is Michelle Nagel with Roar to Win, and our guest today is Madeline McRae. Madeline is the creator of Fast Track Sales Systems and the CEO of M.M. McRae Coaching and Consulting, an international learning, coaching, and consulting firm out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Since 2006, Madeline has been getting firsthand experience at the tables of some of the best businesses in the industry, from huge to tiny, corporate to family-run, manufacturers to retail dealer. Not only does she know what it really takes to be at the top of your game, she teaches her clients exactly how to do it. So welcome, Madeline. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. I'm so glad that you were able to join us today in spite of the technology gremlins. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So Madeline, um, can you give us a little bit more, um, a little bit more depth as to why you do what you do and how you came to doing it? Yeah, absolutely. So I accidentally stumbled upon the entrepreneurial world of home improvements. Like I never really knew that was an industry, right? It's Mm -hmm. a huge industry and I didn't know it existed. And straight out of college, um, I had thought that I was going to be an editor and a writer and I was super excited to pursue that path and come to find out being a high-end editor is a highly competitive position that I just was completely underprepared for Mm -hmm. um, through my education and, and internship decisions throughout college. So I was a little bit shocked and I had to make some in the moment decisions, kind of change my dream a little bit. And I stumbled upon a really awesome entrepreneurial company in the hurricane protection industry in Southern Florida. And I just dove in with both feet. Um, It was a great opportunity to get in at a startup level. And I discovered this world of entrepreneur entrepreneurialism really from the founder of that company I was working for and from all the um, small business owners that we served. And it was just a profound awakening to me of something that I didn't even know existed. And it was such a rich world Mm -hmm. that I got fascinated by, um, by success and by the grit and the um, type of person who just starts their own business. Mm -hmm. That's my foray. That's interesting. So um, how do you get from you know, discovering the entrepreneurial world to, you said that you're in um, home improvement? Yeah, I am. Yeah. That's not how we normally think. We normally think, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the entrepreneurial world we have a tendency to think of is, as being um, service providers in sure. not concrete things. But in, right. yeah, so this is, this is like, something that would appear to be a storefront, but, and yet isn't right. Yeah, could be. So a lot of the people, a lot of the business owners that I work with, they have shop at home businesses. So will they'll come to your home and sell you something. So we're talking about things like painters, flooring, lighting, windows, doors, renovations, roofs, gutters, blah, 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 blah. Like, and, 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 and anything that you would buy to improve your home or to enjoy living in it more that you would need an expert to come in and consult on in order for you to know what you were doing, mm-hmm. right? There might be people who are super handy and can handle renovations on their own, but that's, that's more of the exception than the rule. 
Mm -hmm. And um, so that's really the world of entrepreneurialism. Like I didn't even know that coaching and services was another dynamics of entrepreneurial life until several years ago. Mm-hmm. So I only looked at entrepreneurs as people who decided, well, I'm going to have a window coverings business. And they just decided and met the vendors and did what they, they did to discover their product line and, and master their craft. So a lot of the people that I work with are more on the, um, almost like the trade side. They're a little bit of a, a straddling. Some, some of them are tradesmen, others aren't. Mm-hmm. So many, many, many of my clients are what I fondly call accidental business owners. You know, they just wanted to be the greatest painter ever. And then they, and by painting, I don't mean like paint pictures. I mean, painting walls, right? Right. Walls and ceilings. Um, And they just ended up discovering that, oh, wait, now I'm doing this for myself. Suddenly I have a business. Mm -hmm. And now they need to learn all the things about how do you run a business? How do you, how do you effectively grow a team, et cetera, et cetera. And the level of grit and determination, et cetera, that it requires, whether you're selling a service or you're selling you know, a door mm-hmm. is the same. And mm-hmm. I just love how transferable all the things that I teach my clients are to your audience as well, because it's the same profile of person who has a high risk tolerance, who has something that they want to share with others mm-hmm. um, and the magic of making that happen. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, some people it's like sheetrocking is an art. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Um, you know, you walk into a house and you go, oh, that's a nice wall, but you don't realize what goes into that wall. And, right. um, and yeah, they're really good at it. But, um, and it, it does translate to just any kind of entrepreneurial business. I mean, we're really good at what we do, but the business portion of it gets to be really, really confusing. Right. So, intimidating. yeah, so you had this successful corporate career that you had. Um, I did. Why did you decide that you wanted to to step out of that world? Yeah, so the story goes that I worked for this startup company I told you about, the Hurricane Protection um, Manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked for them and I grew their business from pre-revenue to 1.5 million in sales in 18 months. Wow. And I didn't know that that was a thing. Like I didn't know that that was unusual. <laughs> I didn't, you know, you don't know what you don't know. It was the right. first career job I had. Like I'd done a ton of admin work and I actually got hired there as the executive assistant because I had a pretty nice administrative background from my college work that I had done. Um, And I just outgrew them and I didn't want to live in South Florida anymore. So I moved to Texas and I started my own little independent repping firm, which meant that I found a bunch of manufacturers whose stuff I wanted to sell and I sold it to dealers. I found the dealers and I sold it to them. Um, And I I ended up carrying a line of tubular motors and controls, which sounds crazy, but they're (laughs) things that make windows, like window coverings, so shades go up and down, Mm -hmm. so you don't have to do them by hand. They're the ones that make them automated, or awnings, or projector screens, or any of Uh those things that you've seen just roll automatically. Tubular motors are generally responsible. So Mm -hmm. it's a niche inside of a niche inside of a niche. And um, I was selling a Chinese product, which was eroding the market of the the market leader. And Mm -hmm. so they started to recruit me pretty hard. And at first I said no. And then I realized that I've never worked, I had never worked for a premier brand before Mm -hmm. who had a big marketing budget, who owned the market. They were a billion dollar company out of France. And I just thought, you know what? this could be really fun. Like I could actually climb the corporate ladder here and this could be really fun. So I decided to give it a chance. Mm -hmm. And um, I met with the CEO 
And I told him before I even took the job, like, hey, look, I've got my own business. I'm doing well. I was at that point where I either needed to add on team members or to stop growing. And I wasn't, I didn't have the experience to know how to do that well. Mm-hmm. And so I, it was kind of like, okay, do I get off the tracks here or do I just plow forward? And I didn't know that a business coach was an option. Like if you just don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. So I, I did take this corporate career and I told the um, CEO not to, not to hire me if he wasn't going to promote me. So mm-hmm. he was true to his word. And in 18 months, again, there's that magic number in my life. Um, in 18 months, I actually went from being a field manager, so managing a large accounts, mm-hmm. to being an executive leader. I was actually the youngest member of the strategic leadership team, and I reported directly up to the CEO. Mm-hmm. So, nice. yeah, it was really, really fun. I was the most quickly promoted person in their history. And, you know, I, I was gave, given a ton of opportunities, awesome projects with big, big companies and small companies and a lot of, I, I managed the customer service team and the training department and all sorts of things. And it was just a really awesome experience. And I had watched a lot of business owners. So we sold to the small business owners, the retailers really, um, through the manufacturers. So it's kind of a secondary relationship, but I'd watched a lot of them struggle with the same thing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And there were things that at this point, you know, this is now nearly a decade into my career or over a decade into my career that I knew how to solve their problems. And I felt like the secrets of success were kept secrets unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. And so it became my mission to really make the secrets known. So the secrets of, the, of success didn't have to be secrets anymore. And I had a son um, four and a half years ago, and I took an extended maternity leave and just decided at that point not to return to my corporate career, but to do this work for myself, helping small business owners, mid-sized business owners unlock the secrets of success within their companies mm-hmm. um, as at, at scale. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why I decided to jump out of corporate. It was, it was a big decision, but um, I really felt like it was time for me to have a greater impact outside mm-hmm. of the walls of the, of the company. Okay, so what do you think is harder, being a, an entrepreneur or a corporate executive? <laughs> That's a funny question. So when I left corporate, I was managing a $35 million budget. And I had a, had a you know, pretty intense job. But I would say that having my business, the first year of my business, I didn't even break 100 grand. Mm-hmm. Right. That, and, and for most people, that six figure mark is like super like that's their life goal. For me, that's just getting started because mm-hmm. I had a very successful corporate career. So not even breaking one hundred thousand dollars in sales was like a major downgrade for me. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't even you know, remember my first job in sales. I'd gone from pre-revenue to one point five million in 18 months for someone else. So right. I just imagined that that I could do that for myself was the big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and grossly underestimated that as an entrepreneur, you have to, the vision, mission, values, you have to know what you stand for. You have to have a product. You have to have something to actually sell. And when you're in a services company, when you are the service, that means you have to take all of your amazing knowledge and transform it into something consumable, right? Mm-hmm. Transform it to something that you can sell. And right. I totally missed that. I missed it. That was even a thing. So um, I would say that for me, managing that, that corporate job you're executing on someone else's vision and you have a very clear role that you play within the organization. And to me, that's a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't mean it's less demanding. It's still high stress. It's still all those things, but you're, you're fulfilling a role where when you step into the entrepreneurial world, you have to create it all from the ground up and you have to make so many 
small detail oriented decisions that I'm not used to having to make. So I'm a, I'm an ideator. I like big ideas. I'm a big picture thinker. I'm a visioner. So, um, having to make a decision of like, which, which software are we going to use to manage this? Which accounting firm are we going to use? Which CPA, which, which lawyer, which this, which that, like it was tons and tons and tons and tons of high impact, small uh, decisions that I had to make all the time. So for me, it was way harder, way mm -hmm. harder having a small business. Um, and even as we've grown, it's still harder than it was managing that big, huge budget for, for a corporation. Yeah, that's a really great perspective. Thank you very much. So, yeah. um, so you talk about the success things that were kept secret that you're trying to get out to other people. Yeah. So what do you, what do you noticed about successful people? What makes them successful? So there's one core factor that I think a lot of, so there's, I, first of all, there's not one thing. It's a lot of things combined that make people successful, but there definitely is one that bears a lot of notice. And, and for me, that's tenacity, mm -hmm. not giving up in the face of challenge and understanding that challenge is not, you haven't done anything wrong if you're facing challenge. It's often that you're doing it exactly right mm -hmm. and that you're being tested and stretched and you need to grow. So understanding that when you're faced with adversity or challenge or obstacles or when, you know, you know, the stuff has hit the fan, you know, mm -hmm. when that's the case, it's often an indicator that you're kind of doing it right. Like it's just an opportunity to grow and just being resilient and, and tenacious in the face of what might be adversity is, um, is really essential. And in order to do that, you have to know really what you want. Mm -hmm. So know what you want, know where you're headed and tenaciously pursue it. And that's a critical success factor of the most successful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that's really great to know. Um, can you share, I, I don't know if you want to do this or not, sure. but could you share any of your other success secrets that you have? Sure. So I've learned a lot of success secrets from other coaches and uh, mentors. So I'm a huge fan at this stage in my life. And if I had known sooner, I probably would have done it sooner of hiring people um, to help you up your game. Right. Mm -hmm. I almost always have a coach almost mm -hmm. always. Um, and I've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in the last four years in my own personal and professional development through coaching and mentoring. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I learned was from this really beautiful coach by the name of Michelle Gunderson. Mm -hmm. And she told me to go slow to go fast. And mm -hmm. I was like, what? Like, what's that? Like, I don't even, I, that doesn't resonate with me. You know, my, my, my program, my sales training that I teach all these business owners is called fast track sales systems. So you can right. guess that I have this like very strong bias for going quickly and just action, 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 action. But going slow to go fast has turned into one of the pillars of how I train and how I coach. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean do less. It doesn't mean don't do it. It means choose choose your focus and be intentional about that choice, at least in the way that I've lived out this principle that she, she first planted. Um, mm -hmm. Choose more intentionally. Say no to the good so you can say great, yes to the great and to the excellent. Mm -hmm. So that's been so important and it's hard to live, like really super hard to live. Um, and the other piece that I would say in terms of success principles is um, instead of working really hard, so I'm kind of against this culture of like grind, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. Like I'm against that. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's unpopular. 
for me to be against that in a lot of circles because people like, well, but you can't win without hard work. Mm -hmm. Yes, but it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be, I used to literally, in my corporate job, I used to literally sleep with my computer. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Not even a joke. Like it used to be in my bed with me because mm -hmm. I'd wake up and it'd be like two o'clock in the morning. I'd be like, all right, I'm just going to send a couple quick emails. And of course I'd like keep them stored. And then everything was set to send at eight o'clock in the morning. So I didn't look like a freak working at eight o'clock in the morning in my, in my email box, but I had no boundaries around mm -hmm. it because I'm, I'm a very ambitious person and I love to win. I mm -hmm. like to win. I like to succeed. I like to inspire others. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to do that without grinding. And what I've learned is rather than grind, rather than, you know, work super hard, pour more effort, pour in more effort, it's to, to choose better. So it's kind of the parallel of the go slow to go fast mm -hmm. is that I work with extreme intensity and I, then I stop, I un. Plug. I renew myself, um, whether that means, you know, taking a bubble bath at night or whether that just means like making dinner without listening to a podcast, right? So I don't have to be in constant learning, action, activity, do more, be more mode to mm -hmm. be powerful and to be influential. And that has been huge for me, living with boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that work-life balance, at least not for me, it's not really a thing. Like I don't, I, it's like a three-legged stool that sometimes one leg is shorter, one leg is longer. Uh -huh. in, the, in the aggregate, maybe it works out, but in every single daily life, like that's not really, that doesn't work that way for me. Mm -hmm. But what I have um, learned to do is when I'm working, I'm working. Mm -hmm. When I'm momming, I mom so hard, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm full on on mom mode. So that, that, those are some of the things that really have, personally made me very successful mm -hmm. and that I share with my clients on a regular basis. Yeah, I like the boundaries. So many times um, in so many different kinds of um, fields, if you're an entrepreneur, you think you have to, like, you do have to work 24 hours around the clock. Um, yeah. I know several people who it's like they live with their phone is attached to their hand. Absolutely. And, and every time it beeps, they're looking at it. So there's no personal relationship ability to go on there because okay. you can't sit down and connect with each other because the phone is constantly there. Sure. And, um, and yeah, they're doing really well. I mean, they're making lots of money, but sure. I, I look at their lives and the choices that they've made and, and it's, it's like, okay, if that's the life you want, that's fine. But that doesn't seem like living to me. Right. Right. And that's really comes down to you have to own what you want. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a much harder thing than most people imagine. Mm -hmm. um, just really knowing what you want. Where do you want your life to move? And I, I got away a couple of years ago, I got away from living from like a right, wrong, good, bad, um, should or shouldn't mm -hmm. into a more is this in alignment with what I really want? Mm -hmm. and, and first of all, the even pre-step of that is deciding what you want, like right. really owning it and not what you think other people want you to want. Oh, perfect point. Want. Say that again. <laughs> yeah. Not what you think other people want you to want. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Because I've, I've seen people who are having a $50,000 annual business, right? $50,000. They're, they're mostly a lot of profit in that, high profit margins, and they're happy. It's what they're happy. It's what they want. They feel really successful mm -hmm. having a business at that level. Mm -hmm. And then I've seen people with $5 million businesses who feel like an abject failure. 
mm-hmm. because they want a $10 million business and they're falling so short. Right. So for me, it's really owning your desire and mm-hmm. knowing that what, knowing what you really want and letting go of what other people think you should want. So mm-hmm. for me, when I look at a business and I see that you're doing $50,000 in revenue, I'm like, how do you live? Like, yikes. Um, that's hard for me to accept. That's where someone wants to be because I personally am very ambitious. Mm-hmm. And if I can't see something going to scale, if I can't see how to take something and scale it up, then I, I'm not interested in pursuing it. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to temper that within me and allow others to determine what success means to them. And I think that's a really good exercise. I've done it in a lot of workshops. I've done it in a lot of speaking engagements. Like grab a clean sheet of paper, pen and paper, old school, and just write down what does success mean to you? Mm-hmm. And that's, it's really like some people's like being able to take time off and spend time with their family. Some people's like being able to have enough money to travel, being able to this, whatever success means to you, then you have to say, okay, and how am I going to get there? Mm-hmm. Right? What's my path? And then not be so caught up in the how that you forget the what. Yeah, and that's, that's a really excellent um, exercise because so many times people get so caught up in the, the, um, the money thing and the, and the have to be big. And it's, it's kind of almost in some cases prestige. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what they get caught up in. And their family life totally implodes. It does. And, and then what was really important to them was their family, but that wasn't what they were focusing on. Right. So right. that's, that's a, something that we really need to um, pay attention to. And so that's a really great exercise. Yeah. yeah. Um, we need to take a small break and sure. then we will come right back. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back. This is Michelle Nagel with Roar to Win, and we are interviewing Madeline McRae, who is the creator of Fast Track Sales Systems and the CEO of MM McRae Coaching and Consulting. And um, Madeline, I love the things that you've been saying. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I am so intrigued by your niche that you have chosen. It's, it's <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> who serves that client? Isn't that the best kept secret, though? Like, who would have known that window covering dealers really love this type of coaching? Who would have known? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just think it's marvelous. I'm so excited to, you know, 
to, that you've expanded my mind to think about, oh yeah, those people need some service too. Yeah. So, um, and that could even be something that people, um, when they think about who is my niche, we always seem to get in the same circles too, because I live in a, I live in a town where I, I like to say there's a coach under every rock. Mm -hmm. um, there is, that's just what we do here. It's kind of like, you know, it's like Sedona in Arizona, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, how do you pick a good goal? Yes. Okay. So I'm really passionate about goals. Mm -hmm. Goals are a huge, 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 huge passion for me. And I want to tell you why first. Do you mind if I give you the backstory of why no, I'm so I, passionate? Yeah. I would so, love it. So remember when I was telling you my story <laughs> earlier in the interview and I told you that I wanted to be an editor mm -hmm. and then I realized like, oh crap, editing is super super cutthroat and I have done zero internships and it's like the devil wears Prada. Like, have you seen that, seen that <laughs> yes, movie? Yes. That's what real life, it's like that. I mean, it's super cutthroat and to get at the, these prestigious publications, which is where I want it to be. Um, it was a huge journey that I, I didn't even know was a thing because I went to a teeny tiny college that didn't have career services. So mm -hmm. I was shocked. And quite frankly, it was a big goal for me. I mean, be, being an editor was something that was like, not only my, high, my college career, but also like my last several years in high school. So it was like a goal six years in the making or an intended outcome six years in the making. Uh -huh. And then when I realized like, wait a minute, like I didn't get one single callback on the hundreds of applications I sent out. And I was devastated. I really was. And I, I, um, I had to re really reevaluate, like, is this really what I want? Mm -hmm. And um, so I got scared of setting goals because after working towards something for six years, only to find out it's not what you wanted after all, mm -hmm. was very defeating for me. And so for many years, I, I literally set no goals. Mm -hmm. I just would do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And often when I would set goals, I would set these like, I would do one of two things. And I've watched this happen with so many people. So I'm going to talk about it with my experience, but it's also the experience that I've seen repeated over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Either you set these like moonshot sort of goals where you're like, I'm going to go from $0 to 5 million in a year. Right. Um, honestly, that is highly unlikely, <laughs> right? That is, that is like a snowball's chance of hell that that's actually going to happen. And when we plan on it and we plan for it, let's say we did, let's say we went like nutsos and went from zero to 3 million in a year, but our goal was five. Mm -hmm. We would feel like a failure at three. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I would do. First of all, I would set these outrageous, kind of like BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goals, right. these out outrageous ones. But I would, I would limit the time frame so intensely that it gives it no room to breathe. So mm -hmm. that's the first mistake I made. So I was like, that's, that didn't work. So then I overcorrected and I would make goals that were like, well, if I wake up in the morning and I breathe, I will accomplish it. <laughs> right. So that, that was the other way I set goals. Cause Hey, killing it. Right. But that's also highly unmotivational. Mm -hmm. So finding that goal that's right in the right range is really helpful because goals are meant to pull you forward they're not meant to push you down. Mm -hmm. And when you feel downward, downward pressure exerting on you because of your, the way you've set your goals, you need to retool, retool them, retool mm -hmm. them, and adjust to reality. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So another moment in my life where this whole goal setting crisis happened was about a year into my business. Um, my, I, I'm a solo parent and I wasn't, you know, for the whole, then my son was 18 months old when, when my son's dad and I went in different directions. And when I realized that I truly was going to be a solo parent because my son's dad stepped out of the picture, mm -hmm. um, he had been spending time with him and I lived in Michigan, he lived in Pennsylvania and we were doing the trade-off. And so at least every six weeks, I'd have two full solid weeks to work intensely without having to be also a single mom. Mm -hmm. And um, when that stopped suddenly, kind of like with no, with no warning, it just stopped it took me a good six months to, for my reality, my, for, for me to acknowledge that my reality had changed. Mm -hmm. And what I had wanted in my business when I, when I started it would have been possible with a supportive partner and a structure in place to help me. And without that, it wasn't possible anymore, mm -hmm. right? Now I have new structure and new support and it, things are now possible for me you know, years later that weren't possible back then. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't adjust my goals or adjust my vision when life circumstances changed dramatically. And that, again, very demotivating, right? Mm -hmm. I had a great year. I had a, the biggest year in our business. And again, I left that year feeling really depressed and sad because I was way under where I wanted to be. And it was simply because mid-year, my whole life had changed and I didn't change with it. I didn't realize that I needed to adjust my goals because my reality changed. When I went from being able to travel every six weeks for two solid weeks, like I could jam pack travel in there like crazy to like, I can't travel because I have no one to look for, look after my son. Mm -hmm. That changes the dynamic of what I could accomplish at that time in my business. Mm -hmm. So um, that for me um, are some of the critical underlying factors about goals. Be realistic about where you are today and totally be clear about where you want to be, like with big success. For me, big success looks like selling my business for, gosh, if I can get it for 5 to $10 million, I will be delighted, right? Mm -hmm. That will be like hell of a win, right? And I certainly want to do it, and that's what I want. And because of that, maybe my timeline needs to change, or you have to ramp things up or slow things down or win the right, find the right opportunities to make that a reality. And it doesn't matter what you set out to do, really doesn't. Like mm -hmm. you, can, you can choose whatever you want, you know, but you have to be realistic about your path to getting there. And when you set the path in motion and outside forces act upon it, sometimes you have to course correct. You have to choose a new path. So you really have to be dedicated to your goal so your big picture vision and then your goal and sub subcategorize that goal. Like maybe that's my 10 year goal, but what's my one year goal, mm -hmm. right? Chunk it out so that you can realistically accomplish with a stretch. And it's, it's, it's just guessing, right? It's best guessing. So you have to stretch a little bit into it. And then when you find yourself off the mark or when you find yourself wandering around, realize that you can recalibrate your goals. Mm -hmm. by adjusting your path and it's okay to adjust the path but you should still stay true to what the big picture vision of what you want to accomplish so what do you recommend to people who get derailed though because of life circumstances yeah they have a goal and they're working toward it as you were and then mm -hmm. um you were had this unexpected derailment come along at the hands yeah. of another individual yeah um so 
when that happens, how do how do you stay true to your goals, and how do how do you um, how do you get from the uh, despair of wanting to just throw your hands up in the air and <laughs> crawl under a rock to staying focused on that goal? Yeah, so I've had quite a few derailment moments in the last. So I've had this business not quite four years; it'll be four years in a few months. Mm -hmm. And I have had some really ugly, crying under the desk, not dripping down the face moments on, in my business. Like I'm not going to even lie; I'm not going to sit here and say, "Well, it's all been cake and roses." It totally <laughs> hasn't, right? Which was which was a huge adjustment for me because in the past, I've learned a lot of my lessons in my personal life. Right? Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of crash and burns on my personal life side. Um, but I've never struggled with business. I, I, I always was very successful. It was always easy for me to win. I mean, easy, we'll say easy in air quotes, right? I still worked my ass off for it, but mm -hmm. it was relatively easy. Like mm -hmm. it came pretty easy to me. So this was the first time owning this business and, and facing some of these realities because as the entrepreneur, you are your business. So like personal and professional collided in a way that I was like, oh gosh. Um, so the question, how do you, how do you, how do you kind of stick to that primary trait that I mentioned before of tenacity and resilience mm -hmm. in the face of derailment, right? right? So I had a huge derailment um, about a year and a half-ish ago. We had a huge client, huge corporate client, um, who was acquired by a larger entity. Mm. And our program was one of the most successful programs in their entire marketing repertoire. So we were told, like, absolutely no way this will get cut. You're golden. Mm -hmm. Well. That was not right. We mm. were cut and it was huge. It was two thirds of my annual revenue. Ouch. Yeah. And I had scaled up to match it. So I had to lay people off. I had to cut back on expenses. There were definitely ugly crying moments under the desk. So for me, there was no, there was no short term recovery for that. There was no way I could make that up in the year. Mm -hmm. So I had to accept that, okay, we're going to be way off this year of where we're going to be. So let's take a deep breath and retool for next year. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways to recover is first of all, you have to experience the pain of the thing. Oh, what a horrible thing to say. <laughs> I know you have to let it in. Mm -hmm. So if I just, so I, my, my, my primary mode is like, go out there, grind, do more, be more, do more, be more. But then it's still just bubbling under the surface that this horrible thing happened. Right. And that, you know, in different ways, and I'd never addressed it. So until I had to like really give myself permission to cry it out mm -hmm. moment, and I'm not saying fall apart in public, I'm saying like give yourself a safe space to experience the pain, mm -hmm. but then to get off of your pity pot. Mm -hmm. Right. So my rule of thumb when big crises like this happen, maybe I'll give myself a little more leeway. Mm -hmm. But I have my like one day pity pot. Hmm. All right. You want to sit on your pity pot, Madeline? Fine. You have a day. You go be self-indulgent. You want to, what do you ever you want to do to sit on your pity pot? You just do it. Mm -hmm. You have your pity pot day. That's the thing. You can't have your pity pot life. <laughs> okay. Right? You can't. Or else you're not going to, that's not being true to your dream. Mm -hmm. Derailments happen. They're going to. It's part of growth. I grow the most in the midst of derailment. Hmm. That's where I learn my biggest, most beautiful, most impactful lessons. And some of it is personal. Some of it is professional. Some of it is all these things, right? So I give myself a pity pop day, or if it's been a larger thing, sometimes a little bit more than a day, 
right? This is a big deal. Sometimes it takes a while even to realize it's as big of a deal as it is. But once I realize like, hey, I'm on pity pot mode, when I go to sleep that night, it's we wake up in the morning and it's over. Like mm -hmm. it's a new day, that's in the past. Mm -hmm. then, I, then I make, I look at what caused this to go off the rails. Because mm -hmm. even if it's an outside force that acts upon you, there's something from within that drew it to you. Mm -hmm. Right? There's something from within that either there's, there's something off about your strategy, you're going after the wrong goal, you're, something's off. So I take a minute, my go slow to go fast, I take some time. And that can be a day, a week, a month, three months to decide like, okay, what happened here? Why did it happen? And not shame or blame, just factual, like what happened here and why? Mm -hmm. And then to make a new decision. And sometimes that decision is, all right, well, this strategy is sound. This is clearly what I want. I'm just going to try again, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. just to make a new decision. And sometimes the decision is, you know what? We need to adjust our strategy. If I want this big goal, I need to adjust my strategy. And the third thing that could happen, so, so the first one is to just recommit to the strategy. The second one is to adjust the strategy. And the third one is to evaluate whether or not what you used to want is what you still want. I was going to ask you about that. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's the three possibilities. And each one of those leads you down a very different path. Mm -hmm. And then once you, you, once you do that, again, commitment, line in the sand and say, all right, this is our new reality. Either we've adjusted our complete vision and our goal and we're doing something different, or we're just adjusting our strategy, which means our path to the goal. Or, you know what? The path was really darn good. There just something happened that was out of our control. I learned a lot from it. I'm all good. I survived. All is well. And for me, one of the things is it's just money. Like I can make more money. It's mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, and, and then, and then looking and saying like, okay, why did this happen? Was it a skill gap? Was it an opportunity gap for me? The lesson I learned when that corporate client left was I can't have all my eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. And now my portfolio is much more balanced. Mm -hmm. I have three core ways that we make big money in my business mm -hmm. and not just one. Okay. Excellent. So, yeah. yeah. So what happens when you have a lot of really great ideas? Ooh, yes. So I just wrote, so I have a private blog um, that I write for just people who subscribe to my list and also for my clients. So I don't actually publish a blog, which, you know, some people tell me I'm crazy for not publishing it, but I don't. It's private. <laughs> um, so I just wrote one um, actually about that exact thing. Um, sometimes, and in most cases with, with us entrepreneurial women and men who are, big idea people like we are good solution creators like we find solutions for our clients we find solutions in our business we find solutions in our life and we're just like massively creative with how we get around problems our problem is not usually lack of ideas mm -hmm. almost almost never like even when we think that's our problem it's generally not um it's that usually that we have too many ideas and so we're mm -hmm. trying to do too much at once and we're mm -hmm. spread too thin so the way that I um, decide on, on big ideas is actually a process I learned from another beautiful coach, Andrea Lee, um, <laughs> that lets you decide, um, first of all, you have to be committed to your goal first, right? Everything that we've talked about, it's just the underpinnings. You have got to be so committed to your goal. Mm -hmm. And then in the short term, you just say no to things that do not align with what you're working on right now. 
Mm -hmm. So I had a cartoon created. I can share it with you. Maybe you can put it in your show notes um, about like what it looks like when you do too many things at once, you're running around chasing everything, you're Mm -hmm. getting nothing done versus do one thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, that's really, um, she teaches a process called hell, no, hell yes. Mm -hmm. And I use it, I use it all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to be willing to say no. So when I cross things off of my list, things I'm not going to do, they don't die right? They don't, they're not like gone forever. Now I'll never do it. It just means not right now. Mm-hmm. So I've learned as an entrepreneur, when I say no, what I really am saying is not right now. Mm-hmm. And that's helped me so much because when I say no to something, that's a great initiative. I, I a little piece of my heart dies, right? Cause I spent money or time or effort or energy discovering it and I want to use it and it's so mm-hmm. good, mm-hmm. but it's not the thing that's going to help me the most right now. Mm-hmm. So I've learned to put it into, into a, like an idea pool that I keep, a, mm-hmm. running, a, a running pool of good ideas so that when I want another idea, I just go back to the pool and I fish out of an awesome one. It might've been the one that was a not right now, two months ago is the perfect one to use today. Mm-hmm. So that's really helped me a lot. Wonderful. That's excellent. Yeah. yeah. So um, how do you sort the good from the great? Yeah. So um, it's all a matter of the lens that you're looking at. So. Let's say, for instance, my current goal is to increase my lead flow, right? So I want more potential clients knocking on my door. Let's mm-hmm. say that's my, that's my current goal, okay? Mm-hmm. And I have a couple of cool things. Let's say I have um, a Facebook ad campaign that I could put some money towards. Let's say I have a, um, I could do a website redesign. Let's say I could do that. Let's say I also have um, this awesome salesperson I could hire. Mm-hmm. Let's say that those are the three things. They're all good. None of those things suck as ideas. Right? Right. <laughs> They're all great ideas. Mm-hmm. But when I look at my goal of increase my lead flow, like I want more people knocking on my door and mm-hmm. I want it now, mm-hmm. the most immediate answer is going to be that Facebook ad strategy. Mm-hmm. So I evaluate things based on a very specific lens of what am I working on right now? Because that adjusts which one is the greatest of the three. Mm-hmm. Because hiring a salesperson might be the, the most awesome idea, but my goal right now is not converting more of them. It's getting more of them. Right. So once I've killed that goal, once I've like just killing it and rocking it out every time, maybe my new goal is to get better at converting more of my leads, right? I want to convert more of my leads into clients. Well, now that salesperson idea is the best idea. Mm -hmm. Like that's the truly excellent one for you right now. And then let's say like, okay, I'm, I'm killing it with my lead gen. I got, I've got great conversion, but I want my brand to appear bolder, stronger. I want to come across more professionally. Now that website redo is the hottest thing. Mm -hmm. So for me, the way I sort is I sort based on my current snapshot of where I am and where am I going short term. And where am I going long-term? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're going to be doing simultaneous things for a short-term goal and a long-term goal. But mm-hmm. when you're a solopreneur, when you're the owner operator, you're going to be doing a lot more short-term things until you can scale up and have support and have team to help you accomplish your longer-term perspective. Mm-hmm. Great. So that's how I sort it out through the lens. So what do you do with your maybe ideas? So they go into that pool that I Mm -hmm. talked about. So Mm -hmm. a maybe idea is a never, ever, ever to do right now. If it's a maybe, it's a no, right? Ooh, Mm -hmm. that's a hard one. Because all the maybe ideas are the ones you're really attached to. 
when you can look at the idea and be like, no, that's not what I want to do right now. But if it's a maybe, it means like, oh, it could really work. Mm-hmm. And you get there like that, that truly optimistic side of me is like, yeah, this really could work. This could be really cool. And those are the hardest ones for me to walk away from. Mm-hmm. So I use a lot of discipline with those maybe ideas and they still go in the pool of ideas. They don't get acted upon as mm-hmm. much as I want to, as much as I'm tempted they don't get acted upon until they, they reach the category of excellent. I have just recently had a conversation with somebody who um, she had a, a maybe idea and chose not to do it. And now she feels guilty. Um, uh, she feels like, Oh, but what if, and she second guesses herself, like, could that have made my, my client base bigger? Could that have been helpful to me? Yeah. Um, and and they, she doubts her ability to make a correct decision. Do you have any suggestions for people for that? Ooh, that's a really good one. So the first thing is, is that I have an unfailing belief that the universe conspires to support you. Mm-hmm. Full stop. And what that means is that even if it could have been an awesome strategy, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Right. I had this great, so I've, I've had some traumatic experiences in my life. And so I've, again, my, my, uh, my bias towards speed comes up even when I'm doing therapy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I've used this process called rapid resolution therapy several times to, to help me through some traumatic experiences and to help me heal from them. And, um, I was in, uh, with my therapist for a tune up on the same old thing that just more just had surfaced. And she did an exercise with me, which I think that this would be perfect for your client to do. Because mm-hmm. the stick of blame is not helpful. No. It's not a helpful emotion to be in shoulda, woulda, coulda, guilt, 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 guilt. You mm-hmm. can't take action from guilt. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, she, I, ha- I was sitting in a room and with, with my therapist and I had socks and shoes on. It was winter in New Jersey. And I had socks and shoes. And she said, um, so describe to me your morning process this morning. Like when you put your socks on, were you sitting, standing, where were you? I was like, well, I was sitting on my bed. And she goes, what did you do first, left foot or right foot? I'm like, well, I did left foot, then right foot. She, did you, did, she said, did you do left foot shoe, left foot sock, left foot shoe, left foot, right foot sock? No, I said, I left foot sock, right foot sock, left foot shoe. And she said, okay, I want you to go exactly back to that moment of you putting on your socks. You're sitting in my office right now with socks and shoes on. Mm-hmm. And I want you to go back to this morning, okay? I want you to put on your left sock. And I was like, all right, but not my left sock. And she goes, I want you to put on your left sock, your, your right sock. And she goes, now I want you to stop. Before the sock hits your feet, I want you to stop. And I was like, I looked at her really weird. And I was like, well, I can't. And she's like, well, why not? And I said, well, because I didn't. I was mm-hmm. like, I have two socks on, not one sock, what no sock. Right. And she's like, yeah, so tell me more. I said, I can't stop because I didn't. She goes, right, that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. The reality in which you chose a different path only exists in your mind. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually exist. So we can spend a lot of our time and effort and energy wishing we would have or could have or ought to, mm-hmm. or we could just let it go. We just say, okay, I chose not to. And in the moment when I chose not to do that maybe idea, I was making the best decision that I could with the information that I had at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's all we do all day, every day. We're constantly experimenting. We're constantly learning as we go. Even the most successful people are making shit up as they go along. Mm-hmm. Right? We just are. It's how we live life. 
So you're making it up as you go along. You're making the best decisions. No one makes a decision with the intention of, I'm going to do this. And hey, guess what? This is going to really royally tank my business. Just you wait. It's going to be really fun when this tanks my business. Mm -hmm. Nobody does that. Okay. So we have to just accept that it was what it was. And if we feel like that maybe idea could have, would have, should have, then we have to say, okay, well, can I create that outcome now? Mm-hmm. Given that I am where I am, what can I do today to change the spot that I'm looking back to in two years from now and say, now that was a good decision, mm-hmm. right? We just have to thank and bless our future, our past selves. Like, all right, thank you, Madeline, for making these great decisions with all the information that you had. Was that the best, best path? Not sure, but it certainly was the path that you took. Mm-hmm. So if you want to choose a different path, start right now and choose a different path. You can't unring the wrong bell. Wow, that's, that's really profound. Thank you so much for sharing that. I hope yeah. everybody was listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they weren't, they can be <laughs> Yeah, because that's, that's really great. Because, yeah, you, you can't. You've already done it. And you can't. I, um, I was just thinking about, you know, when somebody does something to you. <laughs> yes. um, you cannot do that either. Um, you can't. So what happens, if, what happens if you discover as you're going along your merry way that um, you thought you made a right choice and it turned out to be a really bad choice? Well, so I actually don't believe in bad choices. Mm-hmm. So um, there's, there's good decisions that led you to the desired outcome. Mm-hmm. And there are good decisions that led you to an undesirable outcome. <laughs> so, okay. Because no one goes through life trying to make bad decisions, mm-hmm. right? We all are choosing to do things um, when it really comes down to it. Look, humans are simple creatures. Despite all of our complexity, we're doing two things in our lives and two things only. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're pursuing pleasure and we're avoiding pain. That's all we're doing. Right. Like when you really boil it down, like, sorry to all the ancient philosophers of old, but really it's what we're doing right? It's really simple. So nobody, nobody, and much less your own self chooses like, okay, I'm going to do this. And this is going to be the most effed up choice I've ever made. And it's going to really ripple effect negatively into every aspect of my life. And yet I'm choosing it because I know that to be true. We choose something because at the moment when we're making the choice, even when it's a horrible decision, let's say even when you're like addicted to a a substance, like drugs, you know, let's say you're addicted to meth. Okay. You don't go out and buy meth and choose to do meth because you want to F up your life. Mm-hmm. You choose it because the high in that moment is the greatest possible good that you're looking for mm-hmm. in that moment. Now you're making a choice through faulty assumptions, right? You need to do some cleanup, right? Mm-hmm. But you didn't choose it because you thought it was bad. You choose it because you think it's good. Mm-hmm. Even if you're thinking it's a little bit skewed. Mm-hmm. So that, so that's the precursor. Like, yes, there, there are good and bad decisions, like choosing to do meth, you could say is a bad decision. Yes, mm-hmm. bad decision. But mm-hmm. you're choosing it because of a perceived good. So understanding the distinction between like morally or socially acceptable, repugnant or not, um, versus your internal perspective of the choice mm-hmm. helps. Mm-hmm. So if you're judging yourself like I made a bad decision, maybe instead of saying this was bad and, and this messed things up, instead of saying like why did this happen to me, Mm-hmm. The most powerful language adjustment that I've ever learned is why did this happen for me? Mm-hmm. Wow, that is a big difference, yeah. It's a massive difference. It changes everything. Even that person addicted to meth. There's someone very close to me in my life who's addicted to meth. Okay. Right? And hopefully one day she'll get clean 
and she will be able to ask herself, why did this myth, why, why did I do this for myself? Mm-hmm. What was here for me in this addiction that I had to then journey through and, and, and journey beyond? Mm-hmm. The journey out of addiction into a place of clean living is a pretty powerful journey. And when she makes that journey and she can look back at her, her meth addicted self, hopefully in, in several years from now, and say like, wow, the journey out of this addiction into a whole new woman was worth every moment of pain. Mm-hmm. That's what we need to be able to say when we're looking at a business choice or a personal choice that had a negative out intended outcome. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't do it on purpose for the negative outcomes, but sometimes they happen. Mm-hmm. And seeing what good is there within that intended outcome or unintended outcome mm-hmm. for me, right? And sometimes it's because we need to see something differently. We need to retool ourselves. We need to, we need to just shake our own reality up. And sometimes it's painful, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that's a pleasant journey. This is not cakes and roses here. Mm-hmm. It's painful. And there's a lot of stretching because in the stretch is the growth, mm-hmm. right? So that for me, like when someone has made a quote bad decision, mm-hmm. first of all, you have to just pause, like stop, stop moving forward. Don't keep moving that direction if the intended outcome is, is bad, right? If you keep going after an outcome that's less than desirable, stop the engines, right? right. Mm-hmm. You got to stop the engines first then that's where you go slow to go fast, right? Mm-hmm. That's when you take a deep breath and you say, okay, well, what was here for me? What did I learn? What was important along this journey in my business and myself and my soul and my clients? Like what was here for me? Mm-hmm. And then what do I truly desire? And what are the best steps I can take right now to move in the direction of that desire? That is awesome. And I'm really excited because it's like, wow, you just gave us a, like a little snapshot view of your coaching prowess. So, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, um, no problem. So what is the one thing you wish you would have known sooner in your entrepreneurial journey? So that's a really interesting follow-up question to what we've just been discussing. And what I would have wished I would have known sooner is is a little bit of this, like you just can't get it wrong, mm-hmm. right? Like you're going to make a bunch of decisions. Some are going to have a great intended outcome. Some, some of them are going to be less than great mm-hmm. and life is going to happen and people are going to do things and vendors are going to fall off and clients are going to fall off and you're going to use, invest money in things that don't pan out the way that you want. And what I would have wished that I would have realized sooner is that this is a, there's a lot of experimentation that's going to go on. Mm-hmm. And just because you don't have the intended outcome in the timing that you wanted mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you're a failure. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you got it wrong. Do we jump really fast to the I'm a failure feeling? Oh, I, yeah, I think that we have many of us, many of us. I've, I've coached you know, probably thousands of people at this point. I would say hundreds, but it might be thousands at this point of people who – we all have that little bit of little bit of imposter syndrome, little bit of um, posers, little bit of like, oh gosh, am I really good enough? That all comes out in different ways. Mm-hmm. So when we are having that little teeny tiny underlying voice that's saying like, oh, maybe I'm not good enough after all, and then we get two little tiny shreds of evidence that we aren't, we're like, ha ha, I'm <laughs> not good enough. Yeah. I knew it all along, mm-hmm. right? So I think when we when we jump to like, oh gosh, I'm, I'm abject fail, failure, embarrassing, embarrassing, embarrassing. Um, when we jump there, 
the good thing to notice is the underlying cause is that we don't believe we're good enough. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so working on that belief and, and seeing all the ways in which we are amazingly good enough. And the other, the other little one thing I wish I would have known, first of all, is that experimentation means that there's going to be a lot of stumbles along the way. Mm -hmm. Stumbles are not, are not evidence that you suck and stumbles are not, are not permanent. Right. So there, that was one of them. The other thing that, that I, I wish that I would have known sooner or in ways I'm kind of grateful I didn't know it sooner because I learned it along the way and I needed to learn it as I, as I, as I went through, um, is that we often will receive challenges right in our greatest area of growth. That's really unexpected, mm -hmm. right? That, that we never, we never thought that it would be that way. Mm -hmm. And that when we, when our reality and our, expectation don't match that's where there's a lot of pain there's a lot of pain in that and learning to be willing to adjust what your expectation looks like or not to be so strict about setting an expectation on yourself and being more in the flow of allowing things to take shape mm -hmm. um, before you try and impose a like okay well then this is exactly what it's going to be um, I'm a I'm a pretty I've learned to play in shades of gray, but um, I'm not, I'm more of a black and white kind of person, like in the way that I think of things. Mm -hmm. So having to dance in that place of like inspiration and a little bit of movement and kind of a lot of gray zone and all that was a very uncomfortable dance for me. Mm -hmm. And just learning how to, how to do that and how to facilitate that for other people um, has been, has been really, really critical success factor for me. Mm -hmm. really, really critical. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing that. So Madeline, how can okay. people get in contact with you? Yeah. So two different ways. Um, the first thing is you can visit my website, which is mmmacrae.com. So mmmacrae.com. Mm -hmm. um, there's a tons of information there. If you want to get in touch with me, there's a form you can fill out. And if you want access to my private blog, you can sign up for that at mmmacrae.com slash access. It's also a private link. So it's a member by request only. Um, I definitely would encourage you to do it. Lots of awesome tidbits. So you'll, you'll get a lot of depth of a lot of the ranges of conversations that we've had today mm -hmm. um, show up on that blog. So yeah, those are good numbers. Excellent. That is so excellent. Um, thank you so much for being with us today, You're Madeline. Welcome. You've given us some really, really, um, oh, golden nuggets. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to have you here and to get to know you a little bit better. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me, Michelle. I love being here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today as we learned happiness hacks, relationship tools, how to refuel our resilience batteries and perfect our roar. Resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. Roar to win. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This is the EWN Podcast Network.